unstoppable, making your life count today and forever. We've been looking at the book of Nehemiah, which is a book of miracles. Someone say a book of miracles. A book of miracles, a, a time and space when the most miraculous thing ever happened. And that was that a whole country of people were rebuilt and restored and renewed. And when it got halfway and it looked impossible, God did the impossible. I have left out Driven by Eternity segment tonight and seeing Jesus in the book so that we can get right in. At the top of your paper, it says what the hand of the Almighty can do for you. Desperate times. Someone say desperate times. Call for desperate measures. Call for desperate measures. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Um, we're going to read the scripture in a moment, but we're going to go ahead and pray, and we'll get through a first point and then get into our illustration. Let's pray. Father, we welcome your Holy Spirit here in the name of Jesus. We welcome you tonight. We welcome your word that's being presented tonight. We invite your word to come to us, for your word, Christ, is you, and you never left anyone the same way they encountered you. Anyone that came to you in Scripture that wanted to be changed was changed. So we come to you, O oh, living word, that you would change us tonight. We rope in our own thoughts for this next 30 minutes that I've allotted myself, and we hear the word of God, and we know that you have something in here for us. So let us turn on our internal GPS and locate ourselves in your word tonight. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. I love what it says at the top of your paper underneath the scripture, because we want to wait and read the scripture in a minute. One day before the miracle, it's difficult to believe the miracle was possible. But one day after, someone say one day after, it is impossible not believe. That means one day after God does something so supernatural in your life, one day before, you can't even believe it was possible, Brittany. She's in the nursery. But one day after, you can't believe that it, it, that it was not possible or that you, you can't believe it because it's impossible to not believe. Number one, every miracle has a Genesis moment. That blank is moment. Every miracle has a Genesis moment. Genesis means the beginning. And every miracle in our life, and in the book of Nehemiah, um, we've spent two weeks, and we'll start going into how we are rebuilt, how we are restored, how we are renewed. We'll go through all of that. But we've been talking about how to ask God for the impossible. Nehemiah, does anyone remember, asked for how many years off to visit Jerusalem? Twelve years. He asked his boss for 12 years off with pay and enough material to build his own house. Come on, somebody. He asked the impossible. But before he ever did Desperate times called for desperate measures. He talked to God first. In fact, in the book of Nehemiah, there are so many prayers. In fact, many prayers, as many as any book, per ratio to the number of chapters, where Nehemiah calls on God and asks God for help. Every miracle has a Genesis a moment. Number two, if you don't pray like it depends on God, the biggest miracles and best promises will remain out of your reach. If you don't pray like it depends on God, you'll find out that Nehemiah begins to work like it depends on him. But in the beginning, Brandy, he prays like it depends on God. You see, if he had never, we talked about the what if factor. Like we always think about what if I fall off the roof? What if, you know, this happens? What if, instead of thinking, what if I don't do the will of God in this lifetime? What will happen? Who will not have their purpose fulfilled? What will happen 
that what will not happen that was supposed to happen if I don't stand in the place I'm supposed to stand in this generation. And if Nehemiah had not gone and rebuilt the people of Israel, God through him, his name means the comfort and the Holy Spirit names mean comfort. We talked about how he circles us, looking at us and the things in our life that need to be rebuilt that we're going to get to and rebuild a wall right up here before you and get into passage of how to deal with conflict and how to deal with your adversary. How many know you have an adversary? Amen. And we'll see how Nehemiah does that. But your scripture on the page up there underneath the line that's blue starts out like this. Jesus is talking. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them that men ought to always to pray and not lose heart, saying there was in a certain city a judge, a judge who's coming in right now, who did not fear God, nor did he fear man. Everyone say, here comes the judge. <laughs> he did not fear God and he did not fear man. This judge had no fear of the Almighty God and he had no fear of man. Now there was a widow in that city. She came crying. Grant me justice from my adversary, and he would not. Someone say, and he would not. For a while. But afterward. Look at your neighbor and say, there's always an afterward. He said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet this widow, she troubles me. I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she wearies me. They're going to stay here for a few minutes. What this means is this widow had an adversary. We didn't have anyone stand over here, but you can imagine he's standing over here. And she comes to the judge. She asks the impossible of a man who only ruled by bribes or by favors. Jesus, the Bible said, if all the books had been written, that contained all the things that Jesus said or that he did, there would not be enough books to hold him in the world. So Jesus packs a powerful punch in this parable. He left out other things, but he wanted to tell this story to get a point across to you. Look at your neighbor and say, there's a point for you. And what he was saying is, this widow came to a man who only could be dealt with if you bribed him, if you gave him favors, but by her continual coming, when it said in the New King James, weary me means harass, lest she harasses me. He's evil enough he could have put a hit out on her and taken it to the mattresses. Any Godfather fans in the room? He could have taken it to the mattresses. But instead, he said, this woman will not shut up. She will not give up. She will not stop asking me for vengeance and I am going to grant it to her because she's getting on my last nerve. Number three on your paper, the widow's unrelenting persistence was the only difference, the only difference between justice and injustice. As they hang here with us for a few more minutes, although he was wicked, his sanity was to the point that Jesus wanted to use him as an example and say, Bold prayers honor God. Let me go ahead and read the rest of the parable. So you that are just coming to the word for the first time, it says that he adventured. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust just said, just judge said. 
Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he, being Jesus, will avenge him speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Jesus speaks a parable that men ought to pray. Say, ought to pray and never lose heart. That means you, you ought to never stop asking God for the impossible. God is honored by bold prayers. He is offended by anything less. If you and I are not asking God for something that's beyond us and something beyond anyone else that we know, we are not asking the right things of God. You ask God to part a Red Sea, it's a done deal. Someone say amen. You ask God to stop a sun stand still, he does it. It's a done deal. There's nothing God, listen to me, loves. There is a difference between the judge and our heavenly father. We're getting there. Hold on. But there is nothing God loves more than keeping his promises, answering prayers, performing miracles, and fulfilling dreams. That's who he is. That's what he does. Someone say, that's who he is. That's what he does. And the greatest moments in life are when we come to our human impotence and we intersect with his omnipotence to do all things. I want you to say, God is for me. And if you believe that tonight, if I believe that, Rita, that God is for me, then I'm going to pray bold, audacious prayers that will change the future of my life. The adversary was attacking this woman. She said, grant me justice from my adversary. Prayer is that kind of desperation that says, you know what? God, I'm in a desperate time. I need a miracle. Anybody need a miracle? Something you've been praying for for a long time? You see, she defied protocol. She had no right to go before him, maybe to his house. There comes a moment when God says, I honor desperado faith. Look at your neighbor and say, you need a little bit? A desperado faith. We don't know what injustice took place in her life. We've all suffered injustice in this room. We don't know what she experienced, but what we know is that she was desperate enough to do something out of her comfort zone. The phrase used to describe the widow's persistence, she is wearing me out, means that she absolutely is in the boxing ring. But you know what? Let me read this to you exactly. God honors those who do desperate things in desperate times. Someone say desperate times. Jesus honored the prostitute who crashed the party. Jesus didn't pick the Pharisees, the scribes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees to be his disciples. Jesus honored the tax collector who climbed into the top of the tree, little old Zacchaeus, in his three-piece suit so he could get a look at Jesus. Jesus honored the four men who cut a hole in the house where Jesus was praying and lowered their best friend through the ceiling because they could not get to Jesus and said, we're desperate for a miracle. You see, as long as you and I continue to come to God. It doesn't matter how many times, as long as I'm still asking, it means that unbelief has not eroded my faith. Someone give God a hand clap of praise tonight. It means that unbelief has not killed me. The common denominator in every one of those stories is holy desperation. Nothing has changed. God, it says at the very bottom of your second page, you don't have to look there, but God is still honoring spiritual desperados who crash parties and climb trees. God is still honoring those who defy protocol with their bold prayers, who ask God. God is honoring those who pray with audacity and tenacity and keep coming. Look at your neighbor and say, keep coming. 
And this widow is selected as the gold standard when it comes to praying hard. Jesus said, when you want to see a visual, we're almost done with you too, and we'll go on with our message. When you want to see a visual of what it means to come before a holy God, next week when we speak on when the king says yes, woo, it's going to be good. We're going to have a throne. But as long as we want to see a visual, it's of this widow coming to a man who never granted anybody anything. But Jesus says she kept coming. She followed him to Walmart. She followed him to the grocery store. She followed him to the politician booth. She followed him wherever he went and said, grant me justice. And Jesus says, my father is loving. He is kind and he is good. I'm asking you to have the same capacity and tenacity and push to pray until something happens. Someone give God claim. Can't clap a praise. Thanks, guys. Amen. Give the widow and the judge a big woohoo. They'll be back for the beginning of next week, but there you have it. So you see, if our prayers aren't impossible to us, we're insulting God. Those miraculous moments in our life, every miracle, I guarantee you, the reason Brandy Love is alive tonight, the reason Nicole is alive tonight, the reason Susan is alive tonight, the reason I'm alive, somebody, somewhere, prayed a prayer for us. You may not have even known. You said, well, I got all heathen 17 generations back. Well, baby girl, somewhere back there, somebody prayed. If it wasn't some your family, it was some missionary praying in a heavenly tongue who didn't even know your name. But the Holy Spirit began to intercede for you. Every miracle has a genealogy, genealogy. And if you trace that, it'll always go back to somebody ask God for the impossible. Do I have anybody in this room tonight that want to ask that your grandchildren know Jesus better than you ever did? That your grandchildren never know poverty? Come on, they never know drugs. That those coming up behind you, that's a prayer. Because often the transcript of our prayers the things that we're praying, that's a transcript, become the script of our life. It's those things we have to believe God for. Number four, the viability of our prayers is not contingent on scrambling the 26 letters of the English alphabet into the right combination like abracadabra. God already knows the last punctuation mark before we pronounce the first syllable. Why is that important? Because often I hear people pray, well, if I could just pray like, you know, like this person or that person, if I just knew what to say, what did this woman say before the judge? She said, grant me justice from my adversary. Let me tell you something. You don't have to have eloquent words. You don't have to put it into some kind of incredible orchestration of the right words at the right time. I'm going to tell you something. If you just say the name of Jesus, how many have been in the worst place in your life? Every one of us. And all we could say, it was between life or death. Come on, someone. And all we could say was Jesus, the tiniest baby child that can learn to say the name of Jesus is like a 911 call before the very throne room of heaven. Oh, somebody give God a hand clap of praise for that. But this judge was evil. But God wants you to know, Jeremiah 31 and 3, I love you with an everlasting love. This judge was human, but our heavenly father is one who has a conviction for justice. You see, the supernatural thoughtfulness of God, it'll convince you that He is exponentially greater than you ever dreamed. He's more merciful, more kind. 
You see, the adversary saw this widow like you and I as an easy target. Someone say an easy target. See, but Psalm 69 and 19, if you're taking notes, says, my adversaries are ever before you, Lord. Which means this, she did not entertain her adversary. She did not engage. She didn't go to her adversary like, um, I know what you did last summer, Hannibal, Cannibal, all those Freddy freaks, all that. It's like in a movie, someone trying to talk a villain out of killing them. It never works, does it? Have you ever watched one of those horror movies, which I happen to hate? Um, but going back, at least someone took me to Friday the 13th. Oh my, halfway through, I was like, I am so out of here. But for you that have watched it, not one of those victims said, oh, please have mercy on me. And Hannibal or Cannibal or Freddy or Krugler or Lugler or whoever said, oh, okay, fine, I won't eat you now. <laughs> Often we spend too much time, someone say we spend too much time trying to talk our adversary out of things he's never going to be talked out of. We engage Satan. We engage that thing. If it's a person, we engage that person. What if Nehemiah, before going before the great king, our taxers, what if he had said he's never going to say yes? What if he had said this is never going to happen? He did not. When you have to stand before someone mighty, kneel down as quick as you can. Can I get an amen? When you have to go before someone, it was an easy target, but she did not engage her adversary. She entertained the one who could heal her and give her justice. Let me tell you something. When Esther was being hunted down by Haman, when her people were being hunted down, she did not engage and entertain her enemy. She entertained her king. She entertained. We need to do more entertaining of the king of kings. Come on, someone. We need to do more worship. We need to do more speaking to him. We need to stop talking to other people about people that are getting on our last nerve, and we need to talk to the one who can change us, even if the other person doesn't change. I know God deserves a hand clap of praise over that. It's a good word. You see, Psalms 84 and 11 captures the heart of your heavenly father. He's not this judge. God is not holding out or holding back. The Bible says no good thing. Someone say no good thing. Does he withhold from those who walk uprightly? That's how you ask the impossible. Jeremiah 33 and 13 says, The day will come when I will do them all the good I have promised them. That means all the good that God has ever promised you in his word. There's coming a day. We not, might not be at that day yet, but there is. Say there is. Coming today, well, my God's going to do me all the good that he has promised he will do me. And he has promised he will do you. Don't freak out. This message is cut in half, but we're, 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 we're coming along good. Let me tell you something. The prophet wrote in Zechariah 2 and 8 that God said, He who touches my people, someone say my people, touch the very apple of my eye. What does that mean? I don't care if you're talking to the president, Mariah Carey, J-Lo, Keith Urban, whoever your person is, Oprah, Bill Gates, whoever. If you get something in your eye, I don't care who you're talking to. You're like, I, I, I'm sorry, I'll get back with you in a minute. Because the eye is the most sensitive part and the pupil is the most sensitive part of your eye. You see, the devil is not as much after you and I, but he knows that when he touches us, God says that 
He has touched the very center of my eye. Satan knows that when he strikes us, God takes it in the eye. But I, like Jack Taylor, do not like to make a big devil and a little God. I have a big God and a little devil, and so do you. And somebody give him a hand clap of praise tonight. She cried out for her just claim. Number five, a just claim is any legal right we have to God's provision. Any legal right. We have to God's provision. When God makes a promise to his family, and since we are part of that covenant family, then we have a legal right to stand and claim that promise for ourselves. Now look up at me. She knew she had a legal right for justice. But don't think for a minute, and we'll go a little deeper in this next week, that you don't have a legal right because of something that's happened in the past, because of something you feel like you're not doing perfect. When God sealed the deal at Calvary, He gave Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice, and you have a legal right. At the top of page two, you know I'm flying to get through this. It says, why do you say, O Israel, the Lord does not hear you? How can you say that your just claim is passed over by God. You see, that's why I wanted to tell you what a just claim, because Israel, in the book of Isaiah, these people that are being rebuilt, they begin to say, our just claim is passed over by God. That moment when you feel forgotten, that moment when you feel overlooked. Can I get a, a wave of a hand from, has not everyone felt that way? God is answering everyone's prayers but mine. There must be something wrong with me. God is doing things for everyone else and he's not for me. But what Israel, what Isaiah said back to Israel in Isaiah 40, how can you say that? Look up into the heavens. Let me just quote it for you. Who created the stars and calls them out by name? Who else weighs the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who calls the lightning forth and it reports and says, here we are. Who says that God has forgotten you or overlooked you? This is the God that never grows weary. This is the God that never faints. He gives strength to the weak and he makes us soar like eagles. And that's why God is saying to us tonight, you have a just claim. Whatever you've stopped asking God for, what would it be? We said last week, if we pass the mic around, what would you say is impossible? What would you say is beyond your reach? God is saying, ask me for it again. Ask me for it. God's not holding back. He can hardly wait to keep his promises for you. Number six, the devil wants you to believe that justice delayed means justice denied so that you will lose hope and stop asking for the impossible. Anybody ever been there that your prayer didn't get answered when you thought it would? Come on now. Come on. Come on. And you were tempted to give up. How many like me have built a camp called give up? You're done. You're done. That's it. That's it. That's the last time I'm asking. That's the last time I'm going to believe God for something impossible. Or maybe a situation we've prayed. There's so many people I could tell you today that I've prayed for through the years. And if, if Pastor Hank is praying for someone and reaching him, I'll say to him, oh my goodness, just give up on them. I mean, we just get in our flesh. You've helped them for 20 years. You've prayed for them. No, no, I can't. And then he'll say back to me, if I'm helping someone else, give up on them. And But recently I have a spiritual daughter. I'm not going to tell the story. I don't have time. 
but I for years reached out to her after a mighty fall back from grace, that fall down from grace, after a mighty fall, after everyone said there's no hope for her. But God kept giving me dreams to keep that vision alive. Let me tell you something. God will give you signposts along your journey to keep you believing for whatever he wants to do in your life. And sometimes it just means the justice is delayed. There's a bump in the road, but God is going to come with us suddenly. And I tell you today, that daughter is serving the Lord and ministering and a Hope House graduate on the wrong road just recently ran into her in Chattanooga. She sells cell phones. And boy, just the anointing came out of her. But she was telling me, I said, that's the God I know. That's the girl that I know. And I'm going to tell you, justice delayed does not mean justice denied. It just takes time. And we got to keep asking for the impossible. Come on, somebody. I love Psalms 23. And pastors mentioned this before. The favorite sentence of that is surely goodness and mercy. I'll follow me all the days of my life, but we don't get that word follow. The word follow in the Hebrew is like God hunting you down. God is not, you say, yeah, that's just what I thought. He's hunting me down to strike me down. He's hunting me down to get me. He's been keeping a list, checking it twice. Knows I've been naughty and not so nice. Come on, somebody. God is hunting you and I down to bless us. He wants to show you and I his goodness and mercy. We can't believe that God is really for us. But God is saying, if you can see a parable with a heathen, mean, spirited judge granted justice because someone kept asking, know this tonight that I am a God who loves to show goodness and mercy. Not just that, but he's got resources you've never dreamed of. Come on, someone say amen. God knows your itinerary. He knows your location. He knows your address. He does not need an electric light like Jack Bauer. He does not need a GPS. He does not need a satellite. He knows where ISIS is right now, ISIL and all their other brothers. He knows where every terrorist group is. He knows where every hurt heart is tonight. God always wins. God never falls. God never fails. God never has to run because God is always going to come out on top. Come on, somebody. He's always successful. He never feels a hostile takeover. God never has to watch his back because he has no equal. In Psalms 91, 14, write it down. says, because Jackie loves me, I will deliver her. Because Josh loves me and has set his love upon me, I will deliver him. It's one thing to say, I will deliver you, but it's another thing for someone to say that's got the power to back it up. Can you say amen? Another verse, Romans 8 and 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for you, how much more shall he not give you freely all things according to his will? But we say no. I don't think God wants to give me good. No. You see, the enemy, number seven, the weight, does, do we get number seven yet? Okay, well, let's stay on number six. The devil wants you to believe that. Why does he want you to believe that? Listen, Brandy Love, your adversary doesn't want you to ask God for the impossible because he knows God will give it to you. He doesn't want you to keep asking for freedom in your future, financial gain, Healing from addiction, cancer, disease, whatever each of us are believed for, our blessings for our children, our money to pay the bills. The enemy doesn't want it. He knows that you are standing on the platform right here before his throne, if it were, the platform that rewrites 
history. The enemy watched when Daniel prayed before the lion's den and he came out on the other side. He watched as Esther bowed her knee and fasted three days and the whole nation of Israel was saved. He watched as Israel rebuilt their home and prayed out for help from the Most High God and Israel was saved. He watched as Jonah got swallowed up in a well because of his disobedience. But the first minute he knelt down in the side on that tongue's guts of the, of the, the guts of the tongue or whatever in the well and prayed that God spit him up on the beach. You are standing on a platform tonight that can rewrite your history, the history of your children, the history of that which is to come, and the devil knows if you ask God for it, you're going to get it. Oh, somebody give God a shout of praise tonight. That's a good thing to encourage. You keep lifting up your unrelenting cry. You keep asking God for the things. You don't lose heart. As long as you keep coming, you're saying, I'm not eroded by unbelief. Remember, remember last week? Remember the grandmother that held the Pastor Keith Kraft that's famous with Power Team and Frisco, an acquaintance of ours? Remember when he was dead in his grandmother's arms? Remember what she could have said? You didn't save my breast. Remember the story? You, my body's burned up from chemo. She could have let unbelief eroded her heart, but instead she said, somehow, someway, I believe you're the resurrection life. She stood right there asking God for something when she had not seen God do something for a long time. When we keep going, we are standing on a platform of miracles. If you just keep standing there, Psalms 57 and 1, if you're taking notes, says, I will cry out. Someone say, cry out to the most high God who fulfills his promise for me. That's good. Come on. We're going to hurry through this last part. Number seven, the weight does not mean, uh, if you'll mark that out and correct it, sorry. My Apple does not receive their worksheets well and I can't read some numbers and I couldn't read it. The, the weight does not mean, please correct that, God is not going to answer. It simply means he wants you to contend for far more than you were initially asking for. The weight does not mean that God is not going to come. You see, it means God wants you to ask. Contend means to ask. It means to wrestle. Sometimes we just want a prop up. We just want God to dull our pain. And God says, I don't want to dull your pain from you needing a fix. Whether it's addiction or, or a relationship or whatever, or just a fix of just one good day. God is more interested in healing you and healing me from the inside out and rebuilding us to the point that he produces a testimony. Look at your neighbor and say, he produces a testimony. If it were, brothers and sisters, you have a claim ticket for a miracle. And that claim ticket says, I'm believing you, God, for the impossible. I don't want it just to be propped up. A lot of times that's all we want from God. Just prop me up, God. Help me make it through today. Help me not, you know, help me, God. And those are good prayers. I mean, being helped through many days has been a good prayer for me. Anybody else? But God says, I just don't want to prop you up. I want to do the impossible. I want you to ask me for something, not just a consolation prize, not just a little bit of peace, of freedom. Sometimes God does not meet our momentary expectations that he might exceed them in the final outcome. Come on, somebody. God is willing to hazard your misunderstanding him in the moment so you'll see in the end he meant you good. 
There's a box there I've already read, but above it, it says underneath number seven, one of the titles, Josh, if you'll start me an instrumental. One of the titles Isaiah used for the Christ was his name shall be called wonderful. Everyone say wonderful. And that sounds so cool at Christmas. But brothers and sisters, the coolest thing is what it means. The one who does or performs difficult things are miraculous or hard tasks. One translation in the Hebrew that Daniel quotes about the wonderful is he who unties not. Anybody ever gotten a knot so bad you couldn't untie it? And I don't mean on your tennis shoe. You know what I'm talking about. I'm in your life. It says that he is the wonderful one. He is not like the judge. Right underneath that, it's underneath that box that I've already read. It says waiting on him, coming before him, talking to him, all have a common denominator. You coming closer to your heavenly father. This widow, if we'd had a a very long, long place today. Nicole, and she'll come back in next week in a different, a different way on this part two of how to ask God for the impossible before we get into rebuilding ourselves. It's going to be wonderful. She would have walked as far and she would have kept coming. You see, she was getting closer. Sometimes the struggles in our life and the, the things that come against us, the main way God uses them is to get you to just lean into Him, to say, I need you, Lord. I need you, Jesus. A man on a high mountain who feels he has the world in his hand is not one unless he has been trained to, to lift in and lift up his hands and say, God, I need you. Sometimes that's exactly what God uses for that weight. Let's go on and read this next thing. The next little paragraph, there's a blank. And it's from the book of Habakkuk. When the promise of God tarries, wait for it to be fulfilled because there is coming a day when he will fulfill his promise. And when he does, there will be no further tearing or hesitation or prolonging of the waiting season. Everything will change swiftly. And the dramatic nature of the change, the change, will be attributable, attributable, however you want to say that, to God alone. So all the what? All the what? All the what? Will be yours. No? All the praise will be who? His. The promise tarries so that God may say, and all those say, this didn't happen by coincidence. This rebuilding of this city of Israel, as you know, Israel's on our right, Persia's to our left. We've done every week. It's only going to give God glory. The rebuilding of your life, your confidence, healing your body, soul, and mind. God is using the weight. God used the weight in Caleb's life when they were going into the promised land. When he said, give me this mountain, I mean, he had to wander around for 40 years with those murmuring, complaining Israelites. And Caleb had not murmured. Caleb had stayed true to the faith. Caleb had been positive. But it's funny, the more you wait on God, the more He refines your passions. And I'll get to number eight in a minute. He purifies your desires until you're asking for those things that are truly upon His heart. You find out at the end of the day, if I can paraphrase, that God, someone say God, had more in His heart. Say that. For me than I had for myself. In the beginning of that, Susan, Caleb would have just wanted a house in the new promised land. But after he'd fought for that thing, after he'd believed for that promise, when he saw that mountain, he said, give me the mountain. When I first started this journey, I was believing God for just some little things. But now tonight, I'm believing God for some greater things. Let me tell you something tonight. God wants you to believe. I've my very best two illustrations. I do not have time for it. It's ten till. 
and I will just start with those next week. They were my sweet spot, but it's okay. We want it's about 10 minutes till, so I need to wind down. And we'll end with this. Huh? I'll see how the flow is. I'm not sure the flow is there for it. Number eight, your enemy knows if you just stand there before your judge. That should be your judge, sorry. Lifting your voice, never losing heart, never giving up. Your judge will grant you justice. It is the spiritual order of the universe. I'll do one. Thank you, Pastor. My dear friend, Melissa Quayle, that I told you her husband's testimony. Remember the one who dove out of the balcony last week into Stevie Nicks's mosh pit? Um, just celebrated his tenure being clean from alcohol. Someone say hallelujah. And, uh, but my dear friend Melissa, when her husband passed and went to heaven about seven years ago from cancer, she went through so many hard roads I don't have time to say about, but I will say this, she truly became a widow. And this promise is not just for widow, but listen to me real quickly, because where she is tonight is important. And uh, she began to pray. She had those days, I remember Christmas a few years ago, she laid on her couch for two weeks and watched Lifetime for television movies. Come on, people, that is pure depression right there, pure depression. At Christmas, if you're single, do not go there. And at the end of those two weeks, she stood up. This is a woman of faith, but she she lost her husband. It had been years. She was building a business, but she got kept waiting for that white stallion. Oh, if you've not been a woman, you've never been there, you ain't real. She kept waiting for that white stallion. Come on, somebody. Going to just ride in and turn her world upside down. And she stood up. She shared this at many places, and she knows I share it as well. I share it everywhere I go. And um, she just stood up. She said, you're, you're pitiful, Melissa. You're pitiful. No white stallion is coming. Get up and begin to put your hands to work. Begin to build your business. She was a Juice Plus distributor. Begin to do things above your means. And believe God, you've prayed. She began to pray for Ephesians 3.20, that God would do exceedingly above what she could ask or imagine. That was a prayer. She began to get declarations. She studied them out of the Bible. She got them all written out. She began to decree over herself, over her family, over her business. Instead of being pitiful, she became powerful. Come on, someone. She began to speak that promise of her. She began to absolutely soar in her business. She went from one national stage to an international stage. She began to make more money and make your head spin. Not waiting for a stay anymore. She put her hands to work. But every day she'd get up and she'd decree and declare out of the Word of God what the Word says. And she would cry out. She said, because I've done a widow and judge on Daystar before millions of people. No big deal. But she was there that day. I did it. And in the altars as Daystar and she was, was, was singing, and, and it was one of the, probably the greatest altar ministries I've ever been part of my life. And it was all Holy Spirit. And it was, it's caught on tape. But as I was going through, and I, and I got to her, I put my hand on her head, and I said the one word that God had said to me when Perry died, destiny. And Joni Lamb called me and said, I don't even know Melissa, but I'm hearing just destiny. I said, it's just what I heard, Joni. I said it over, the minute I said it over, she went out in the Spirit as that, the way the Holy Spirit was working in that altar service. And there was hundreds of people everywhere. It didn't really matter, but I'm just saying, right when she went down, the band, I, didn't, I wasn't in the mic. I was praying for people with no microphone to me. The band began to sing, Destiny, 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 Destiny. I mean, it just, she, and she recalled that to me today. Because she began to build her business and build her faith, and she began to cry out for God and say, God, I pray for justice in my life. I believe for my husband, he's no longer here. God blessed her business. God began to bless 
her life. God began to bless her. She began to believe him. There was moments she wanted to give up. She'd cry in the bed. She'd whine. She, but she'd get up the next morning. She'd work as hard as she did the next day, speaking the word of God, believing and being obedient unto God with her resources, her finances, everything she had in her hands. God blessed her. And then about a year and a half, in a few months, and God just gave us some words, gave me a dream. And in two weeks, she began to communicate with a man named Michael Quayle, who is the vice president, Dan Quayle's brother. And uh, then they began to date. Within six months, they were married. Within six months, she met the man. After six years and seven years of believing God in God's timing, you may be single and say, I don't want a mister, and that's fine. You may be a man and say, I don't want a sister. Come on. But the deal is, it's exceedingly abundantly above all. Her back has gone out the last few weeks. She's tried to get into four surgeons. It's, it's, she's laid on her back. This is a woman that never lays on her back. It's her sciatic nerve. It's just an invasive surgery they need to do. Not, but no one would see her. And anyone she saw was months. And she just is a go-getter. She's building her business even still, even though she's married a man of great means. And she couldn't get anyone. Finally, this is what God did. Mike called his brother, Vice President Dan Quill. They still call him that. He called his surgeon in Phoenix. A private jet was sent today to Cleveland Airport, one that has where you can lay down. She sent me a picture of her snug as a bug in a rug, as she said, laying there. It flies her into Danquell because you know why? Because someone believed, but this is it. Someone asked, Mike was willing to call his brother and say, we're at the end of our rope. My wife has not gotten up for four weeks off of a couch. And then that man, Dan Quayle, called his surgeon. And the, and the secretary said, the vice president is on the phone. He said, I need my sister-in-law here in two days. You know what? Today she's arrived there and is at the vice president's house in a compound, laying down, going to surgery tomorrow. I'm telling you this because she is not one of God's favorite. She is someone who was willing to ask God for the impossible. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for letting us fly through this, Lord. And Holy Spirit, at the beginning, the first step for next week, how to ask you for the impossible. we got to keep asking. Lord, inside in us the faith, Lord Jesus, you would have never brought this widow up to us unless you want us to know we got to keep asking for that which looks impossible to keep coming. Next week, Lord, we'll come back and see the widow. Next week, we'll talk about more about Nehemiah, and we're going to see how our lives can rebuild, our relationships, how to stand through conflict, how to believe you for our purpose. But thank you tonight, God, for seeing what the hand of the Almighty God can do for us. You are a loving Father who desires us to ask you. You want us to ask boldly. Forgive us for our sheepish, timid, just get me by and give me a nickel prayer. Help us to enlarge our territory and ask you to bless us, God, in ways we've never asked. We don't want to just be delivered. We want to be free and focused. We don't want to just be whole. We want to be whole and moving forward. We want to make a difference in this earth. And we thank you for it, Father. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Everyone give God a hand clap of praise.